I'd like to say good evening to all. I'm sure you hear me in the back. You do? Good, darling, because someone was worried about that. My name is Elizabeth B. My anonymity has been shot to hell for a very long time. Uh, I stand before you a definite and the most grateful alcoholic you could ever lay your eyes on. Hi. And you know something so beautiful? You light up my life. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And I say that with sincerity because you gave me the hope when I didn't know that there was any hope for me. And I thank God for each and every one of you. I want to take this opportunity to thank Sharon and the committee and Bob and George and Edith for their love and the calls and the letters and for the opportunity and the honor and privilege that you've bestowed upon me to allow me this evening to share some of my strength, hope, and experience with you. And every time you allow me to do that, I receive blessings upon blessings. So I thank you. I want to take this opportunity also for Larry and Alita to stand up. They've been in my life for eight years. She met me at the airport, and she asked me, what are your plans? I said, I'm going with the flow. So you see, I don't have no plans. Larry and Alita, would you stand up so I could say thanks and everybody else? Thank you. Beautiful. Now, there's many of you in this room tonight that have heard me time and time again. I haven't gone out and gotten you a new story, but I thank Sonny and Linda for being here too tonight because Linda said she has a tape of me from 10 years ago and that I have changed. So somebody else has to see the change. <laughs> I probably see a little bit of it, but not too much. Uh, but I thank all of you for being here. And I've had the most fantastic weekend of my life. I have felt the love and the warmth this weekend that I have missed back in New York. And I'm on the circuit of speaking, and I go quite a bit, and there are so many places that I've been going recently that are so cold that I've even done it in Buffalo. And here's what I've done. I tell them, you know, a bell isn't a bell till you ring it, and a song isn't a song till you sing it, and love isn't love till you give it away for it to stay. So let's give each other love, because that's what the whole program is about. And I thank God for you, because you loved me till I could love myself. The very first meeting that I went to an AA, three carloads of people came home with me, and I haven't been by myself since, okay? <laughs> so, so that's why I speak the way I do. Now, there was a minister preaching one time, and he says, if you drink alcohol, you're doomed to die. And a little old lady down front, she said, amen. He says, now, if you smoke those cigarettes, you're doomed to die. And the little old lady, she said, amen. He says, now, if you chew tobacco, she says, look at that. He's done stop preaching and gone to meddling. <laughs> so I'm going to go to meddling, okay? I'm going to hit somebody here tonight, believe me. That's my primary purpose. I'm the oldest of five children. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Manhattan on 163rd between Amsterdam and Edgecombe. My dad was a pitiful drunk. I'm not allowed to call anyone an alcoholic but myself. And I used to grieve about my dad's drinking. I used to see the policemen beat him with billies, the blood spatter. The neighbors would hit him with frying pans and the blood would spatter. And I watched him come out of Mother Cabrina Hospital, which I lived directly in front of, wrapped like a mummy many, many times. I'm ever grateful that I was in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous when my father hung himself. I don't believe to this very moment that I'm sharing with you that I could have accepted his death if I had been actively drinking. But thank God, this is one of the things that make me say I'm a grateful alcoholic. I was in these rooms. 
My mom is 93. She tells you she's old, but she ain't cold, so you can see what I got to go through. <laughs> see? And for those of you who have heard me before, I cannot take it back. I still wish I could give that lady two lousy drinks and bring her to hell into my program. She could use the whole 12 steps and the whole everything. But my mom made rice wine when I was 12 years old from the ingredients that she received from the welfare, such as rice and raisins. And this is my first drink and my first drunk at 12 years old. And as I honestly look back, I was a stone alcoholic at 12 years old. So please don't ask me about social drinking. I don't know about crossing any lines. I've seen a hell of a lot of lines, but I don't know about crossing any. And she left myself and a little girl named Marion to sieve this rice wine that she made. Now, I'm only 12 years old. My first drink. And Marion sieved and sipped two drinks, and she went the hell on home. But, honey, I sieved and sipped. Oh, Lord have mercy. I sieved and I sipped. And I kept on sieving and sipping. I'm only 12 years old, and I'm sieving and sipping. And I put on a drunk at 12 that was a drunk. Well, of course, my mother lectured to me all night long. And I went out the next day snapping my fingers and telling my friends what a ball I had, and I don't even remember what the hell happened. But this began to be the pattern of my life. If you didn't drink and get drunk and pass out, then you weren't saying too much for me. At the age of 14, I was selling King Kong booze, and I want you to believe it was King Kong. The man made it in the bathtub on the first floor next door, and I was buying it by the gallon. And you know that King Kong stood you straight and it knocked the hell out of you. And someone suggested that I take mayonnaise, olive oil, and butter, and cream, and line yourself up, because I was selling it for 40 cents a cream pitcher. Now, uh, you know how they tell you to eat a good meal? Well, let me tell you about the King Kong. It went all through the mayonnaise, the olive oil, the butter, the cream. So I stopped taking that sick stuff, and I drank me some booze. I made some good money, money, and by the time a certain hour, I was padlocked into a side room for my protection. I'm laying out the window one night, I live one flight up, and I see this sharp cat. Oh, God, was he sharp. You see, men just turn me on. I can't help it. And oh, this cat was so sharp, he was just tipping on down the street, and he was carrying a big roll of money. I know now it was a $5 bill around a lot of ones. And boy, it had my antennas going right up. I said, ooh, I got me a live one, and I had a live one. I got in with him, you know that. And he used to take me from uptown Manhattan down to the Lower East Side. And if you wanted a good time, you sent for Liz and Al. And, of course, I went down for you to come up and give me a play. At the age of 14, I'm drinking and I'm partying, I'm hanging out, and I felt that I was a woman now. And I ran up to my mother one night, and I said, Mom, please sign for me to marry this man. He's 10 years older than myself. And uh, she says, Oh, no, dear. Over my dead body. That man will have you up in the street and you'll never see life with that man. Well, I found out something about myself at the age of 14. Don't you ever, but never, tell me what not to do. i got to do it if I pay every price. I paid a hell of a lot of prices. I thank God AA suggested everything to me. I wouldn't have stayed if it hadn't. I'll tell you that right now. And I quit school at 14, and I took sleep-in jobs. I was sitting up in the bars with them big flappy hats on and the frosty glasses, drinking Tom Collins. You couldn't tell me I wasn't saying something. I left New York on the third day of January, 1939. At 10 o'clock in the morning, I was standing in the courthouse in Maryland, Baltimore, and I was crying my heart out. And the minister stopped my ceremony, and he said, My dear young lady, 
would you mind telling me what you're crying about? I said, well, at last I got him. I'm going to be honest with every one of you in this auditorium this evening. Mr. Bailey has not stopped crying till yet. <laughs> that was the sorriest day of that man's life when he said, I do to Liz Ulrich. Now, I came back to New York. I'm 17, baby. Woo, I'm going to paint New York red. You see, I'm 64, so you can imagine what I was at 17. Woo, watch out. Mama was going to tear up. No more mama, no more neighbors. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Woo-wee. Got this old marriage license. You should see it. I'm just a mess. I was just flashing it all over the place. Well, listen to me. I'll tell you. My husband gave up every liquor joint. He gave up gambling. He gave up hustling. He gave up going to parties, and this cat sat down, and I became a mental case at the age of 17. Because here I am, rearing to go, and he's sitting. And by the way, darling, he's still sitting. See, and I couldn't take that sitting down. No, I couldn't. I started to nurse my little drink through the week. I began to look forward to weekend drunks. Now I round up eight sets of people with eight kegs of beer and bottles of booze. I know where I'm going eight weekends in a row. Now I watched a change come over me. I began to curse. Every word came out of my mouth was a curse word. I began to fight everything and everybody. I began to leave my house, and I never called it a home. There was no love there. I was a house. I had every material thing any woman on this earth would want. Mr. Bailey went back to his fur trade. And every time I had a period of dryness, girls, he would make me another fur coat. I had fur coats like beans. You know, if you had a bean factory... One year, he even made me the most gorgeous leopard coat you ever laid your eyes on. He threw a party for the job and all. And he brought this coat in and he threw it out on my bed. Do you know I looked down at that leopard coat and hated it? I gave it away because I said he made it so he could spot me anywhere. <laughs> See? And in sobriety, I wished I had it time and time again. But here again, I watched me now begin to leave my house from one day to three weeks at a time. One of my neighbors pulled me up on the carpet one day, and she says to me, I'm very much ashamed to live next door to somebody like you. She says, I bought this house to get away from people like you. She said, would you mind telling me just what's the matter with you? And I says, oh, Jim Lee, I suffer with my nerves. And Jim Lee suggested that I drink rum. Isn't that nice? Uh-huh. I left Jim Lee standing in my little bitty kitchen, and I ran around to the Empire Liquor Store. I bought a bottle of rum. I'm still waiting for one of you drunks to tell me how in the hell did I wake up in Brightcliff, New York with the bottle of rum. I live in Jamaica, Long Island. I do not live in Brightcliff, New York. And this beautiful lady took me in off the streets into her home up there. And she used to try to sit down and tell me, Liz, you're a lovely person, but drinking is your problem. And here I have a broken finger in two places at this time. I'm up there also. And um, I just became so ashamed, so full of guilt and remorse because I'm up in some godforsaken place. I don't know where I'm at. And I become a booze fighter up there. I get up in the morning, I put a shot in my coffee, and I call it Coffee Royal. I would hide the lousy bottle. I don't care where I hid the bottle, I'd find it because I didn't want, the, you know, any to leak. You know that. And I'd have to check to see if the top was all right. And every time I checked the top, I took a swig. So by the time the lady came home, I'd be burping and burping, and the poor soul didn't know what to do for me. And I became so ashamed. Oh, I wanted to die. 
And so I said, well, I'll sit in the Catholic Church all day just so I can peel her potatoes and get her dinner started. Well, I'd sit in the church till about 4 o'clock, and I'd walk right out of the church, walk over to the bar, and say to the bartender, give me one to relax. I've got to peel this lady's potatoes today. Give me two to get started, you know, because I've really got to peel her potatoes. Now, when I drank, they gave a third free drink. Now, I don't walk out on nobody's free drink. That is not nice. That's not nice. Now, I have to buy one back. You know how you have to buy one back to look good. By the time I got to the fourth or the fifth drink, the hell with her and her potatoes. Let's roll. And I remember going down Jamaica Avenue one day. And I'm going to buy my baby a playpen. I really have the money to buy my baby a playpen. And I meet a guy on Jamaica Avenue, and he says to me, Come on, Liz, let's have a drink. I said, Oh, man, don't bug me. I'm going to buy my baby a playpen. Oh, come on, one drink won't hurt you. I said, Man, please, let me go buy this kid a playpen today. Don't bug me. I got down in front of Patty's bar, and Patty's bar just pulled me right in. My baby's 38 and ain't got the playpen to yet. (laughs) But that was the kind of stuff I did. I always started out to do something nice, and by the time I got to the third or the fourth drink, whatever drink, I'd go on on my own show, you know. And so I kept drinking. I stayed on my knees to Mr. Bailey. Please forgive me. Please. I don't want to drink like this. I don't want to act like this. I don't want to be like this. And he would tell you in 20 minutes to an hour, I'd be right off to the races again. I continued to drink. Now I began to hit Mary Macklett Hospital. Broken fingers, broken ribs. I fell down the basement steps. Mr. Bailey stepped over me and went to work. And I swore he whipped me till I got to AA. The man never touched me. He just stepped over me and went to work. And there I had the busted ribs. And one morning, I woke up so sick and tired of being sick. I had been beaten to a pulp a couple of good times because I'm nasty now. I couldn't come out. And I love bald-headed men. Oh, God, I was crazy about bald-headed men. (laughs) And I used to play up to these guys and call them my sugar daddy. And he used to run me out and roll up the windows and lock me in the cars because the wives used to come after me with knives. And uh, I used to be so afraid to walk the streets of Jamaica, I never knew who was going to hit me for what. And when I got to AA and I saw that sign, but for the grace of God, I said, whew, I made it because I really didn't have to make it here. And so this particular morning, my head is coming off my body. I am so sick. And I put the raw egg in the bear trying to straighten me up. And, oh, I try so many things to straighten me up. I used to suck them out with black sins. My tongue stayed black, but the booze was coming out of my pores. <laughs> that didn't help. I thought it was going to help. But I remember this particular morning. I reached over and grabbed my Bible, and I thought, well, maybe I can find the answer in the Bible, how to straighten this rotten, filthy life of mine up. And Mr. Bailey passed my room, and he looked in, and he seen me with the Bible, and he started screaming, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, put that Bible down. Twenty minutes to an hour, you'll be so drunk, you'll be slapping a kid down. He was right. Nobody got in my way. He says, oh, you'll be hopping a cab, and the cab drivers used to say, Please, please take somebody else's cab. Don't take mine. It took me three days to clean up my cab behind you. And I used to say, who the hell does he think he is? I paid 50 cents to get in that cab. Don't tell me who to take. Or I would be swinging a corner. And so this particular morning, I don't want to hear Mr. Bailey. Oh, he's going. His mouth is just going and my head is going. And this is the first time I thought about taking my life. 
And if there's any ministers or sisters or priests or any of the clergy in this audience tonight, please forgive me. But I literally ran and jumped up into the second floor window. I want out. This is the first time I thought about suicide. And I'm ready to throw my body down into the yard. And as I'm getting ready to throw my body into the yard, there's a little lady named Nana Baca standing down in the backyard. And she spots me standing up in the window. And she starts to scream, and Mr. Bailey, Mr. Bailey, you better get her. She's going to jump. His head comes out the kitchen window, which is next to the one. Then I see his hands come out. He says, Nana, will you let that bitch jump? He says, I'll be rid of all my problems. My troubles, please let that bitch jump. Well, I turned around and looked at him. I wanted to know who the hell did he think he was. I guarantee every one of you I got down out of that window. I got back in that bed and I pulled that sheet over me and I didn't try that one no more. No, no. See? And I continued to drink. And I now I began to watch myself going down and I went out and had a lousy two dollar beer drunk and when I came in he says to me look at this you're drunk again and you have no dinner I said man don't argue with me when I'm drinking and I mean it don't talk to me when I'm drinking I said do me a favor see me up to the bed he walked me three steps I had a black slack suit on and a gold coat when I came to, I was stretched out on a bench. There was a policeman sitting at the foot of me. People were walking around on the ceiling. And there was a big man standing up in the door doing like this to me. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know where I was. It took me three days to find out. I had hit Kings County Hospital. It took another three days to find out. I had totally blacked out when I got on that third step. And I tried to kill Mr. Bailey in the blackout. And when I came home back to my house, I had smashed up everything in that house. Every mirror, everything was just smashed to bits. And when he brought me back home, I said, look, man, do me a favor. Don't lay down. Don't lay down. You lay down, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you for taking me to some hospital. Do you know that man sat up in chairs for three nights? You don't blame him, do you? He was scared to lay down. I continued to drink. The good sisters in Mary Immaculate started patching me up now. The broken fingers, the busted ribs. I do not suggest that you girls fry a frozen chicken drunk. I knocked the grease over, burn up both of my legs. And they used to try to tell me, Mrs. Bailey, come to the alcoholic clinic on a Tuesday morning. It went in this air and out that air because I took every problem that I had in my life to Sutton's Bar and Grill. If you wanted to find me, that's where I sat, on a stool or in the booth at Sutton's Bar and Grill. I continued to drink, and I watched me go down. Mr. Bailey came to me one day, and he says, you're the loveliest wife when you're sober. Drunk, you're a Jekyll and a Hyde. Why don't you try this, AA? When you desire a drink, run over to the phone, pick it up, and call someone to talk you out of the drink. Uh, I'm not going into the flowery words of what I said to Mr. Bailey because uh, <laughs> cursing is my character defect and I really can't stand up here and tell any of you I'm perfect in that department yet. I'm much better though. If some of you have heard me before, you've seen I clean up my act a lot, right? Good. I feel better about it because I'm aware of it today. But you know what I told him to do with AA, don't you? Do. You know what I told him to do with AA. Okay. He, he walked away from me because Dr. Graniger had said to him, would you please go home and tell Mrs. Bailey 
that she's either going to drink herself to death, she will drink herself into a mental institution, or she will drink herself into Alcoholics Anonymous. And once you tell her that, make sure you keep your big mouth shut and take care of Mr. Bailey. Well, praise the Lord and hallelujah and amen, the man never but never mentioned AA again to me. In the meantime, I'm still watching myself go downhill. I remember one night I said to him, maybe if you drank with me. Don't that sound familiar? (laughs) Maybe if you drank with me, I wouldn't want to drink so much and roam. I was a roamer, you know. And um, he went around, he got a bottle of Gordon's gin. And we laid up in the TV room that night, and we drank this gin till 11 o'clock. The bottle got like this. Now, every alcoholic in this room knows what happened to me. I panicked. I panicked. This is not going to carry me through the night until the morning, because now I'm taking the hair of the dog that bit me the night before. And I took my elbow, and I hit him. And I said, Daddy, would you run around to the liquor store before it closes and get another bottle? He said, not me, Liz. I've had enough. You know I wanted to kill him, don't you? Oh, God, I wanted to kill him. Did you ever see an Indian on a rampage at 2 in the morning? Here I am. I would be up, dressed, or zoom. Aren't you afraid to go underneath that Long Island Railroad at 2 in the morning? Well, who the hell was thinking about the railroad? I wasn't thinking about the railroad. I was getting to Sutton's Bar and Grill before it closed to fill my Coca-Cola bottle fill and to sit there and close the place. I continued to drink. I switched from brand to brand. And whenever Mr. Bailey marked the bottle of mine, I went totally insane. Don't ever mark a bottle for me, please. Put a pencil mark on it or a pen mark on it because it just drove me crazy. And so, again, I went on drinking for another eight to ten months. I hope now to tell you about my last drunk. And I worked very hard at it being my last drunk, but I also like what the big book teaches us, that we do lose that compulsion to drink if you continue to belong to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm drinking now with hard two-fist drinkers in the VFW Hall on 110th and Merrick Road. I could never stand anybody who took a drink and went home. Me, I took a drink, I left home. I never stayed anymore. I left. I have to drink in peace. Come on. And so... I remember this lady was coming to sell some insurance for the house. I had not seen her since I was eight years old. Her name was Mrs. Lindbaum. I got up, and it was in July, and I made the salads, and I straightened up. I left the dusting even to last, and the telephone rang, and I heard the voice on the phone, and I banged the phone down. He called me back the second time. I said, oh, don't bug me. Please don't bug me. There's a lady coming today. I really want to see this lady. I haven't seen her since I'm eight years old. She's coming to sell some insurance for the house. And I banged the phone down on him the second time. I remember going around the corner to the store, and I came back. He was on the phone for the third time. He said, Liz, do me a favor. Hop a cab. I'll introduce you to the people. I'll put you back in the cab, and I'll send you home to your company. I figure, oh, let me do that. He's going to drive me up a wall today. He's not going to let me stay in here. Well, I get in the cab, and I go over to the post, and the booze is lined up, and the jukebox is going, and I'm singing, you always hurt the one you love. <laughs> the one you don't want to hurt. Give me another drink. I could sing them old weeping Harry songs and give me another drink. 
I'm 64 years old and I haven't seen Miss Lynn Momta yet. <laughs> and I forgot what the lady even looked like back in New York. I'm always hoping she's in one of the rooms so I can see her again. I woke up in one of my son's twin beds. My second son was always very good to me, always had the pan ready. He always nursed me back with soups and salads. And please don't cook bacon and eggs if I'm coming off a drunk. That's exit. I can't stand it. I cannot handle that. And I remember waking up, and at the foot of this bed stood my mother here and Mr. Bailey over here. And my mother is screaming to the rooftops that somebody has done something to her. It's always somebody else. It's never her children, okay? And she keeps telling him somebody has done something to her. And he's telling her, no, Mom. No, Mom. She happens to be a very sick girl. Well, he didn't call me bitch. You know my name was bitch, don't you? Okay. But when he said that I was sick, something went all over me. I can't explain it till today. But I got up out of the bed, and I went into the basement of that house, and I stayed in the basement for two days praying to die. I wanted out because now I am hitting unfinished basements and people are begging me don't drink, don't smoke down there and I'm going back taking care of my children in the day till Mr. Bailey would let me back in. But this time I happened to be in my own basement. The second day I looked at my oldest son sitting there reading a book and I said, Richard, this is not the way I want to live. Mommy... You can't depend on her for anything. I'm going to go up on the Long Island Railroad. I'm going to jump in front of a train this time, and I'm just going to end it all. And I started to scream, and, oh, God, oh, God, please help me. I have never screamed to God, so as I did that night in that basement. And something said to me loud and clear, try this AA that your father has told me about. I have a metal cabinet there, and I took the telephone book down, I called AA. They didn't have anyone to send me. And I went into Manhattan where our intergroup was, one flight up over a bar. I got in the vestibule and I said, the hell with AA, because the aroma of that bar had me. I said, no, you came over this far, try it again. I got up into the middle of the landing. And just as I went to turn to go back down into the bar, because the aroma had me from the bar, a lady looked down the steps and she says to me, are you having trouble? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I went running up the steps to her. She escorted me into the office, the front part, and she sat me down. Now, my mom has always taught me, I don't know about your mom, but please don't go out and tell people where you got the black eye. Don't tell them where you got the busted mouth. Please don't tell them about the fights in your house. Keep that in your house. That's your business. Don't go out and tell nobody about yourself. Put it in a closet, under a rug, open a drawer. And this woman kept on telling me about herself, and I got goose pimples and chills. I started to fall off the chair. And I'm saying, why don't she put this stuff in a garbage can and make sure she got a lid on it? You know, because I would never tell you about me before AA. Are you kidding? I didn't have time anyway. But again... She turns to me and she says, you know, Liz, it's the first drink. I says, oh, come on, sweetie, I've been drinking for 19 years. She said, Liz, when you pick up one drink of any type of alcohol, it is only a matter of time that a compulsion sets up into you that you have to go all the way. 
Now, I remember sitting out on my stoop one day with a very bad cold, and the baby's godfather came up to me, and he says, How you doing, Liz? I says, Oh, Lambert, look at me. I've got the worst cold. I was not thinking about a drink because I was really sick with the cold. He ran around to Collins Pharmacy, and he brought me back a bottle of teaspoons and came back and sat. I went in and took three teaspoons. Came, I'm working like hell. You know that. Come back and sat. And... Finally, I went in and took the bottle and put it to my head. Googa, googa, googa. I went on a drunk behind that cough medicine that I hadn't even thought about having. I've seen myself take two drinks on a Monday. Great. Two lousy drinks on a Tuesday. You're looking for me. Wednesday, I would go to Gert's department store, buy a whole fifth, drink the whole fifth. Nothing happened to me. <gasps> I done found the brand I can drink. And nothing happened. You know I went back Thursday and got another bottle, right? You're looking for me. Friday, I'm knitting without needles. Have any of you knitted without needles? <laughs> but I'm really knitting. I'm walking up and down, and I'm knitting. And I'm on my knees bringing up the green bottle, and I'm praying to die. But I've got to go get that drink to get me back in focus. And so again, she said, meetings, 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 a sponsor. Now, I'm only mimicking these girls. I'm not making fun of them. I finally got my hair done. I finally bought a little two-piece blue dress because any time Mr. Bailey gave me money for a dress, I could never find a dress, so you know I drank it up, you know. And um, this time I did buy the little dress. And I walked into my first AA meeting. And there's two girls behind the coffee counter, and they look up at me, and they say, You don't look like an alcoholic. I said, Now, what the hell did I get myself into? Let me get the hell out of here. And I started running out of that room a mile a minute. I was getting out. And thank God they always kept two people at the door when I got here. Two people at the door. And this man hit me over here on the shoulder, and he says to me, said I don't look like an alcoholic. Now, I don't know what an alcoholic looks like. I'm about to lose my mind, my home, my children, and everything from drinking. He said, have a seat, sweetie. you in the right place. <laughs> and they put two of these tables together that night, and each one of the members sat around, and they shared their strength, their hope, and their experience with me. I'm going to say this twice. I always wish that I could say it more, but I don't want to take up more time with it. But for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Alateen, Alatot, OA, GA, PA, FA, NA, EA, I got all the A's working. I, the only one I just turned down was S.A., and that's Sex Anonymous in Seattle, Washington. That's the only one I turned down. And I'm not ready for my sex life to be on them tapes, okay? <laughs> that's the only one I turned down. <laughs> July the 11th passed. I had one of the grandest celebrations in AA of celebrating 33 years away from my last drink. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise Him. And just think, when I walked in at the age of 31, I was really 13 years old emotionally. I didn't know I had character defects. Are you kidding? Shortcomings? Really? 
Yes. <laughs> Highly sensitive, yes. You were always talking about me and you were always watching me. Those were two things I knew about me. And thank God they suggested that I stay sober for me. Because if I had to stay sober for my mom, I would be drunk, drunk, drunk. My mother does not like me to say I'm an alcoholic. She calls me, good morning, Reverend Bailey, how are you? And... Uh, <laughs> Where are you speaking at next, Reverend Bailey? <laughs> it took my mom 29 and a half years to tell me to stay with them A's, whatever they are. <laughs> and see, my mom and all the rest of you know, I don't plan to go nowhere. Because the progression of alcoholism is still going on inside of me. And I would like to suggest that you do not talk to me about 33 years of sobriety. I need AA more today than I did 33 years ago. And I've seen the change. Don't talk to me about it. And, you know, thank God, like I told you, Mom is 93 and she loved, don't know young men come around her because she gets frisky. She tell you she old, but she ain't cold. And then after you leave, then I got to lift the arm and the leg. <laughs> That lady is something. Mr. Bailey, now I'm going to get on his case. How about it? Mr. Bailey couldn't stand me from the day that I walked into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I listened to the Al-Anon speaker today, and I literally sat there and cried like a baby right over there today. I had to con get myself under control because I asked Mr. Bailey the same thing that this woman asked her husband. Please, Daddy, come to the meetings with me. Please come and learn about me. Maybe we could get some sort of kind of life back together. And he called me Meshuggah Cup. If you're Jewish, you know what that means. You're the crazy one. There goes the crazy one. But I did make seven meetings a week. Twenty-three years ago, I had the honor and privilege of speaking for our late co-founder, Bill Wilson at the Hotel Commodore to 2,700 people that night. Mr. Bailey did come, and he sat on the diocese, and he shook my hand. He said, I did a good job. But when we arrived back at the house, he took every pot on the stove and banged it and was screaming like a maniac. He says, I've got to get rid of you. He says, I can't stand you and this sobriety another minute. I had 10 years of sobriety at that time. No one, as I said to Sharon tonight, and I'm going to say it real loud and clear, no one but no one makes decisions for Alcoholics Anonymous or an alcoholic but number 3 and 11 of your 12 steps. And I sat at 3 o'clock one morning, and I asked God. I turned my life and my will over to him. And then I went to carry out what God said. And God says, Liz Bailey, if you pick up one drink, you don't have Liz. If you pick up one drink, you don't have Mr. Bailey. And I didn't have him anyway. And if you pick up one drink, I just told you, I leave that house from one day to three weeks at a time. And so I had to leave Mr. Bailey 23 years ago sitting in a $60,000 house. I moved to a room, room and kitchenette, and then to an apartment. Now, I could really tell you a story about 33 years of sobriety, but every drunk that wrote a book or told these stories ended up getting drunk. So I'm not writing any books. That's one sure thing. 
But, you know, I want to tell every one of you sitting in here, and I want it to go over loud and clear. I will always love Mr. Bailey with agape love, with Christ's love. I will always love him because he kept that house and those three children together while I was in the streets of New York. And I praise God for him. He's been a good father to his three children. Send them college. They never wanted for anything, and he kept the roof over their head. And I thank God for Mr. Bailey. In fact, I just had him at my anniversary this year, and I had him stand up, and the round of applause you gave him made him sick for two weeks. <laughs> and he let me know, for me not to forget this anniversary. Don't forget that anniversary, he says to me. But I think it's one that he'll never forget. Thank God. Mr. Bailey went off to the Bahamas, and he came back looking good. Oh, God, did he look good. And I said, damn, man, you sure look good. I said, let's get married again. He said, I don't look that good. <laughs> I keep telling you, you got to do it for yourself. That's where it's at. Thank God for Mr. Bailey, though. He's 10 years older than myself. He's 74, and his motor's running nicely, too. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. My oldest son, he's 45 years old now, handsome cat, and uh, he hated me for most of my sobriety, and he let me know, I'll never forgive you, and I'll never forget you. And I had to come into Alcoholics Anonymous to forgive myself. I was ignorant as far as alcohol and alcoholism was concerned. It was a way of life. Everybody around me did it. It was just normal to get drunk and pass out or be drinking all the time and partying. It was just part of life. And I had to learn to forgive myself in these rooms of AA. And it took me five years to find a God in AA. I hope it don't take any of you that long. But the first five years of AA, I didn't want to hear about a God. Because here I had come in and I call myself sober. As I look back now, I was just dry. And I was making seven meetings a week and three times on Sunday. I had adopted myself a strong sponsor. And when I'd cry to her, she'd tell me, listen, Liz Bailey, I want to tell you something. AA don't need you, but you need AA. <laughs> I'd cry. And then she'd I'd cry again and whine, and she'd say, listen, sit on the pot. Or, you know, she didn't say it this nice, but you know what she said. Or get up off it, and I'd cry some more. And at the end of five years, from having migraine headaches, deep depressions, isolation, crying a lot, I decided to let this higher power that you told me about come into my life. And I slowly began to put one hand in God's, and I had the other one in AA. And I found the higher power whom I choose to call God. And I found a loving and forgiving God. And any man, any woman, any child wants to hold my past over my head has to be their problem. Because the God that I found has forgiven me 70 times 7. So I'm not worrying about anybody holding my past over my head. Richard hasn't spoken to me for years. And it's just in the last three years that he's slowly coming around to me as a man of 45. And... Last Sunday, it was a privilege to sit and chat with him and to receive a beautiful birthday gift even from him. And that's something he's never given me was a gift. I got a Mother's Day gift this year and a birthday gift. So you see, girls, I'm letting things happen. I'm not making them happen. And they're happening beautiful. 
My second son was an addict and an alcoholic. And this is why I go crazy over the young people in AA or in any of the programs that they're trying to help themselves. I used to say to Dennis, Dennis, the right road may be hard, but you'll be the winner. The easy road, the price is heavy. Dennis was shot and killed 15 years ago at 2 o'clock in the morning on June 25th. He left a beautiful wife and two children, and I'm happy to say that they're doing fine. I have a daughter. She's 38, and as you know, I stopped drinking when she was five years old. And I thank God that she doesn't remember me as an active alcoholic, because she would have used my life to even damage hers a little bit more. She's now coming out of her fourth mental breakdown. And I've been ever so happy that I've been a sober mother to raise her children for her. If some of you heard me a couple of years ago here in Cleveland, I was asking you women, how did Sarah have a baby at 90? Because I was having a hell of a job in my 60s, you know. But I thank God that I've been privileged to raise Rabia and Robert. Robert is four, and he will be going back to school now. And they're back home with my daughter and her husband, which is so fantastic. I have a beautiful AA baby, and her name is Adrian Anita. And I named her after AA because without AA, she would have never been around. Let's face that thing. And about nine years ago, she turned to be a Muslim. She lives in Boston, and she wears the shroud, and she covers her beautiful face. She's had six babies in six years. She's lost the first three, but she has the last three. I have nine grandchildren. I see them by appointment only. <laughs> Believe me. But I love them, and the time we have is quality good time. Believe me. Aisha, she changed her name to Aisha, comes down to New York twice a year to get her meat. She doesn't eat like we do. And I had a black hat on, a black coat, and she had all this shroud and a face covered. And we walked into the A.M.P. and as we're walking in, the cashier says, oh, it's a stick-up, it's a stick-up. <laughs> well, I got hysterical. And I went to the floor of the A.M.P. laughing. And coming back on the subway, she says to me, Mother, oh, she speaks so proper since she's in Boston. And she says, Mother, are you accepting me as a Muslim? I said, Aisha, you join Hudism, Buddhism, I don't really care whoseism, as long as it helps you to become a better person. And that's a slogan that has been in my AA life, and that's live and let live. Dear God, can you allow other people to live their lives and you live yours to the fullest? That's what I do for me. And we get along beautiful. I admit I accept, I surrender to the fact that I am an alcoholic. I have no choice to pick up a drink if I want to live this beautiful life. I have a choice about many other things. I came to believe in a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. And it meant that if I wanted to stay sober and happy sober, and I could never have stayed sober 33 years if I'd have been unhappy. But I had to do a lot of changing in my life. A lots of changing. I've gone up and had eight operations in 22 years. I've been to death's door eight times. You know, and I tell every doctor I'm an alcoholic. And they slam it across my chart. 
And the aides come by with the rubbing alcohol, and they walk past me. I said, come here, baby. I just can't drink it, but I don't miss a rub. You hear me? I don't miss a rub. Uh-uh. Uh, come on in here. And you know, I went up and had three operations in six weeks. And the doctor looked at me and he says, you've got cancer. And he says, I'm only giving you another six months to live. And I looked at him. i got a very big mouth, as some of you know. And I said to him, please don't talk to me that way. I said, my program says one day at a time. Do you all know in July last month I made 18 and a half years in arrested cancer patient? And you can see my motors running fast. Don't let nobody put their mouth on you. Please don't. Whatever they say, you can show them different. I used to have my neighbors stand out in the street and say, any day now, that's so-and-so, she'll take off. One of them waited seven years. <laughs> yeah, they were waiting for me to take off. They even had me down that I wasn't the type to stay sober. I wonder who they would have typed me. I had to learn about me myself, you know. But again, August the 11th, Thirteen years ago, I had a heart attack. And I laid in LaGuardia Hospital for five weeks. And when you're physically sick, you do have to watch for sneaky self-pity. And sneaky self-pity got in on me with poor me, poor me. And as you can see, they cut me from ear to ear. They took out two glands. And I couldn't speak for a while. And I figured, well, God, you got me shutting up now. But you see what he did? He brought me back so strong, I have to say, cool it, Liz. You know, oh, Lord. Because sometimes I scare myself, the power comes out of me so strong. And I said, you know, you keep saying, poor me, poor me, and all full of self-pity. You're going to say, pour me a drink if you keep that up. And I had 20 years of sobriety at the time. Someone had given me some books from Dr. Robert Shuler about take your scars and turn them into stars because I'm loaded with scars cut to pieces drunk and sober and I've taken every one of these scars and turned them into stars in my life and then I found the key to my life it took me 20 years in AA to find the key to my life hope it don't take you that long and that was to seek God first in his kingdom and his righteousness for all things to be added unto me. I get up now and say, Good morning, God, instead of saying, Oh, God, it's another morning. Because I used to hate to see another day come. I haven't really had nothing but one cold in many, many years, and that was coming from Canada, from Montreal. But otherwise, I don't have any illness in my life. I don't claim any illness anymore. The doctor says, You've got arthritis in the knee. I said, Yeah, it'll stay there because I ain't got it. He said, you got a stone in your urinal tract. I said, well, give me something to dissolve it. He says, I can't. I said, I'll give birth to it then. <laughs> Sat on the throne one day and heard clunk. <laughs> I gave birth to it. I saw it then. Went back to his office. He sent me down for an x-ray. He didn't see it, and he threw me out the office. Told me to get the hell out of here. Because I refuse to claim any illness anymore. I'm sorry. I cannot do that. I had enough of it in my life in ignorance. In ignorance. In ignorance. I don't have any illness. Don't believe in it. And so again, I came to believe in this higher power. 
and I made a decision to turn my self-will run riot over to the care of God as I understood him. And again, I've taken the fearless inventory many, many times. The longer I stay sober, the more comes to the surface and the more he knows that I can handle. He's not going to give us anything that we can't handle. Today I can admit to God, to myself, and another human being the exact natures of my wrongs. I must do this if I don't want to put myself back in bondage. I stand up and I say this very sincerely to you. I'm free, free at last. Woo! Thank God Almighty, I'm free. Oh, yes, I'm free. And some kid said to me, he says, you know, Liz, Martin Luther King went to the top of the mountain, but I'd be damned if you ain't been through the mountain. So I've been through the mountain. I've been through the mountain. Yes, indeed. I've humbly asked God to work with me with this cursing. And uh, he's doing all right. And uh, I work on my shortcomings. And, you know, I had to learn to love me to love you. I had to learn how to be nice to me to be nice to you. It all starts with me. I have that sign on my refrigerator and on the wall of my kitchen, I have, I make the difference. I do make the difference. What do I want to affect me? How do I want to live? I do make the difference. There's one bartender I owe $2. I will never give him the $2. I sent his children to college. I certainly did, sitting on that bar stool. I bought that guy the finest Cadillacs you ever did see. I used to watch him go up and down Jamaica Avenue. And I just want to take one of you drunks to Vermont, New York, to show you the house I bought him. It would injure me to give him the $2. And I want to tell you how I kept his place going. Since I stopped drinking, he closed up. He's not there anymore. It's an athletic club. That shows you how I was keeping him going. And so again, I've made amends to my loved ones. I have to stay away from my mom. I love her, but she's negative. And I stay away from anybody that's negative. They drain the hell out of you. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. I love her, and I have to let the God that's within her work for her. Okay? But I want you to know I love my mom. I've made amends to... Many of my neighbors are happy that I have stopped drinking. They kiss me in the head and up and down the arm. But, you know, I've never had a car in my whole sobriety. And every night a different white man comes and picks me up. And we have this instant kissing and love, you know, getting out the car and in the car. And my neighbors say, oh, my God, from a drunk to this, what is she putting down? Do you know I'm still aggravating my neighbors with that? They're still shook up. And if you want to know anything about me, just ask one of my neighbors. Which way did she go? What color dress she had on? What kind of car she got? I'm so protected, you don't have to worry about me. They don't have to worry about me. It's beautiful. I got without a job at 25 years of sobriety. And Mr. Bailey cut me off. And I had to go and live in a basement for three and a half years. But I want to tell you now, I'm on the first floor now, okay? took me three and a half years to get up on the first floor, but that's where I'm at. And God took me right back to the same house that I got sober in. And so I'm there on my Social Security, and I praise God that I don't have to pay any rent, so I'm doing okay. 
I went back to school in 1979 after having been out of school for 44 years, and I graduated from New York Visiting Nursing with an 88 average. Yes. And I love what a young lady just came over to me and she said, I'm going to live with my sobriety. And please do that. Come in and enjoy your sobriety. Don't come into AA to drop dead. This is not the place to come to die. This is the place that you will come to live the most fantastic life. And it'll get so good, it'll scare the hell out of you. And when it gets that good, watch it. Watch it because there's so many of us can't handle good. And remember that, and you've got so many people who are afraid to get well. Because in getting well, it's what Bill Wilson says, I am responsible. When anyone, anywhere, reaches their hand out for me, dear God, let me be there. Again, the greatest spiritual awakening, and I do this every day, I take time out for God. I also, when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. When I'm right, I really try hard to shut up. It's a, it's, it's, I'm still working on that. But the greatest spiritual awakening that Liz Bailey could ever have was learning how to stay away from one drink, one five minutes, one ten minutes, one hour, one day at a time. One day at a time. And when you say, do I have to come to these meetings the rest of my life? Life is full of yesterdays and no tomorrows. Your life is right now, and what you're doing in the now is the most important thing. One of my friends came out from his job, and he had a, he's an insurance representative, and had a pocket full of money, and the fellow says to him, stick him up. And he says, oh man, don't you see I got a disease? And he said, the fellow ran from him. And he said, Liz, he didn't even give me a chance to tell him I'm an alcoholic. And I laughed at that because I remember saying to Mr. Bailey, what am I going to tell my friends when they ask me to have a drink? He says, tell them you're an al you have a disease. I said, like hell, I'm running around telling people I got a disease. And I looked it up in the dictionary, and it means dis at ease with oneself. I readily tell you in the world I have a disease. When I'm actively drinking, I cannot live with me or you or everybody around me is affected. And I thank God for you. If you're new and this is your first conference, I hope you come back to many more because this is the meat of our program when we can all get together and share this love that's in this room tonight. This has been one of the greatest conferences of my life. And I've been to many. Believe me, I've been to many. But not like this one this weekend. I've been so emotionally touched this weekend with your love. Oh, God, can I thank you for that love? Can I thank you for that love? Oh, and Lou Williams, thank you. There's your anonymity shot to hell. But thank you for the breakfast even this morning. I hope your wife and my girlfriend feels better also. But I do want to thank each one of you. Keep coming back. Always go to the meeting you don't want to go to. That's the one you get the zinger. Get yourself a sponsor. There's over a million and a half of us in AA today, and you can't tell me you can't find one person to be good for you. You know, you're not going to tell me that. No. And it is a we program. It's not an I, me, my. It's we can do together what I could never do alone. 
I pray for peace every day. And you know how troubled this world is. Every one of us know. I even hate to buy the papers back in New York. I hate to even turn the news on the TV. But, you know, I've been taught in AA, too, to wear this world as a loose garment. Wear it loosely. Don't take anything to you. And, you know, I say, let the peace begin with me. Let this peace begin with me. And if we all felt like that in this room, do you know what power would be behind it? And never forget, AA says AA in home, AA in your job, AA in socializing, and AA in religion if you care to go to religion. Get the second reader to learn how to live the most fantastic, balanced life of your life. And you know, I'm going to close with this. And I want to do this because it reminds me of me. I brought it back from Canada about the man who couldn't speak English and he didn't have a job. And he was taught how to sell apples. You go up to the lady's door and you ring the bell and she'll say, how much are they? You tell her, two for five. She'll say, are they sweet or sour? You tell her, some are and some aren't. She'll say, well, I don't care for any. And if she don't, somebody else will and you go on and sell your apples. He's crossing the street, and I seem to pick on Cadillacs all the time. I don't know why. But this Cadillac drives up and drops the window, and he says to him, I'm trying to get across that bridge. He said, two for five. He said, come on, man. I don't have no time to waste. He said, some are and some aren't. He said, come on. If you get up with another wisecrack like that, I'm going to get out this car and flatten you. He said, if you don't, somebody else will. And I love it because I'm still doing the very same thing that I was taught to do 33 years ago. Stay away from that first drink. Meetings, meetings, meetings. My sponsor of 28 years just passed away. She was my sponsor for 28 years. God love her. I didn't like a lot of things she said, but I can tell you for 28 years I loved the ground she walked on because she was belting me with truth. And I needed truth. I didn't need nobody to play games with me for my life. 